Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second ever episode of Podcasts, the official podcast of the Villanovan Sports Section. My name is Kevin Gamgort, and I'm the former co-sports editor, and I'm here with uh, the two current co-sports editors, Tyler Kemp yes, and Greg Welsh. And I'm also here with the Villanovan go-to guy, Mr. Michael Keeley. Uh, we're here today with uh, some somber news. Uh, over the weekend, the Villanova Wildcats fell in the NCAA tournament in the round of 32, which is um, a familiar sight for them. So today we're going to uh, bring to you that game, a little recap, go through the awards of the season for how the men's team did, and we're also going to do the same for the women's team. But um, before that, let's just get uh, initial gut reactions from everyone uh, on the staff. How are we feeling about the loss? What are we thinking uh, on the season? And we, we did have a win. I mean, we had a first-round win, so we got to be happy about that. But, um, but what are our thoughts about the performance in the NCAA tournament for the Wildcats? I think... First thing I think of is our preview magazine. Our preview magazine had all of us with very optimistic views of this team because honestly, we kind of overestimated ourselves. And I know I had a, us getting bounced out of the Elite Eight. Kevin, you had the wildest prediction of saying we're going to go back to back as national champions, right? I will say though, I had them initially as a Sweet 16, but then everyone started putting like round of 32 in Sweet 16. So I wrote with them being back-to-back champs. I will live with that. That's I will live with that realistic. pick. But no, live overall, with that pick. I keep saying this. This was a great season for Villanova basketball altogether. Big East regular season title, conference title. We've seen it. A huge win over a team that put us on upset alert in the couple of days leading up to the tournament after Selection Sunday. Like People were very scared of this draw against St. Mary's because everybody was like, oh, they beat Gonzaga. But we got through that. Been there, done that. But then another second-round exit. Tough. Yeah, I can't remember if I picked them to go to the Elite Eight or the Sweet Sixteen preseason, but I definitely had them out in the Sweet Sixteen uh, in my bracket. So I was surprised to see them lose to Purdue, but it wasn't an unexpected loss. You know, it was going to be a game always where it's who makes the most threes is going to win that game. Yeah. And with Carson Edwards coming out that hot that early, you kind of knew from the get go it was going to be tough for the Wildcats. Um, but also at the same time, like you said. A pretty good freaking season, losing four guys to the NBA, winning the Big East regular season, winning the Big East tournament. And it's not like they were a one-seed losing in the second round as a letdown. They were a six-seed. That happens. Um, pretty pretty good season for the Cats, all things considered, really. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think I'm not surprised uh, by the loss to Purdue. Um, I was pretty worried about that game going into it. Uh, I was glad that, to see us get get past St. Mary's. Um, that game really got tight in the late, late, latter stages, and uh, it was just good to be able to close that out and at least get that one win. Move on to the round of 32. Purdue's a tough tough matchup, um, given their size inside with Harms, and then also Carson Edwards, and obviously had a, he had a career night, career high points, 42. Um, so, I mean, it's tough to win when, when he's really click, when Edwards clicking like that. But I'd say... You know, the, I am, like, a little surprised to see um, that the Cats really weren't able to make at all any push at all to, to come back. I was expecting maybe in the second half, coming out of the break, they're down 19 at the half. I was expecting to see maybe some changes, um, maybe a little, make a little run, cut that lead closer to single digits. Um, but that just didn't happen at all. They came out even flatter, I thought, in the second half, um, which was a little unexpected, I thought. Yeah, I agree with you. It was one of those things where... You have to keep the game on because with their history and everything, you expected the Wildcats to make that run, and you're just waiting nonstop, but you're watching the time tick out, and you're just like, it 
it's not going to happen. But um, I agree with what Mike said earlier, and it was just one of those things where this team this year, the fact that they were able to lose those four key players to the NBA, win the Big East regular title, and win the Big East tournament, that was almost their ceiling. That was like the championship for them this year. That was a success in itself. And then the way on campus we, I feel like at least the staff looked at it, is a win in the tournament is it will take a win. You got to take it a game at a time, and we'll take any wins we can get. But we're just proud of the team to win a Big East title. And the fact that they won one game and they were considered one of the biggest upset matchups, it's it's not even like we're crazy disappointed. It's almost what we expected. Yeah, going into it, I thought two wins in the tournament was a, made a really, really good season. 316, yeah. that's outstanding if they did mm-hmm. that. Didn't happen. But I think even personally going into that matchup against Purdue, I knew who Isaac Harms was. Um, I definitely knew who Carson Edwards was. Yeah. But... I did not, I mean, I kind of expected Edwards to be the guy for them, but I did not expect Harms to make the impact he made. I know he's 7-3, I believe. 7-3. Yeah, 7-3, yeah. Um, I knew that we only had, a, what, 6-7, six, 6-8 six, Samuels and Pascal out there to make a difference yeah, against him. I think Dada didn't play much. He yeah. played, but he's not the starter. Right. Um, so, for some reason, I don't know why, it didn't click in my head that the 7-inch difference was going to make that offensive rebound difference that it did. Yeah, I think the offensive rebounds, uh, I know Purdue had 10 offensive rebounds in the first half alone, which is absolutely insane. I mean, you're, you're not going to win games when you're giving up 10 offensive rebounds in the first half. That's so many second-chance opportunities, especially when Purdue is shooting that well. To give them multiple shots um, on each possession is just, you can't, over, you, that, you can't overcome that. Yeah, and it was just, it was funny because it was one of those games where you turned it on and within the first five minutes you're like, did Villanova know the game started? Because yeah. you're watching and you just see Carson Edwards knocking down every shot and you're like, oh boy, this is tough. And then you see them getting every offensive rebound and you're like, not only is this like a rough start, this could be a real long game and uh, that's just the way it panned out. From the beginning to the end, it was a total and utter beatdown. Right. When I saw Carson Edwards hit his first long three, I was like, Villanova, the Nova Nation does not realize how good Carson Edwards really is. The man was an All-American last year, an All-Big Ten selection last year as well, All-Big Ten selection this year once again. Probably should be in the All-American discussion. The man is just a walking bucket. Like, there was nothing we could do in order to stop this guy. And I knew that we didn't have the best defense because, like, the 17-18 Villanova team, like, we put McHale on him just to get some length and get a different body thrown at him. Then you could try some different matchups in case we get different switches. But this year, Carson Edwards was just another year better, and he knew what he had. And if he was missing, Matt Harms was there to pick up the rebounds, clean up the glass, and throw it back down on everybody's heads. Because there's not much you can do. You literally can't teach height. 7-3 against, what, 6-8, 6-9, mm-hmm. the rest of our front court, there wasn't much we could do from the start. I'm not going to say we were doomed, but when Carson Edwards goes off for nearly half of the Boilermakers' points, you gotta, you got to give it up for him. I mean, he was 9 for 16 from 3, which is just remarkable. And, and just looking at this team, the way they, they dominated Villanova in almost every facet of the game, made me realize how dangerous they are moving forward. They, they, this team has a serious chance moving forward to make some noise. Uh, and I don't know. I think they're a team that a lot of people uh, underestimated. I think that there were many scenarios. I mean, even in the pregame show... The majority of the announcers picked Villanova in the game. Really? At least the pregame show I was watching. I forgot what channel it was on. And I know that um, 
it just I think this team was underestimated, and uh, I personally didn't realize how good they were in so many different ways. And not only did they beat Villanova, it, it seemed like at the end they uh, they didn't hold back. They almost were kind of yeah, going Edward, at yeah. Edwards stayed in there for a long time. I was surprised that, uh, <laughs> how long he didn't come out until the last few minutes of the game, and especially after he uh, he went down and looked to be a little hurt on the one sequence, and he stayed in the game even after that. But I think um, in terms of Purdue's um, ability to threaten moving forward, um, I think they definitely have a, a they have Tennessee next, uh, which I think will be a really intriguing game to watch. Um, it just depends, I think, on if Edwards can sustain uh, that kind of shooting. Obviously, he's not going to sustain that uh, quite that level, quite that percentage of makes. But you know, if he can if he can stay hot and and they can continue to get some contributions from Harms and um, a couple of their other um, guys who are I know Klein. I think he was four of eight. Um, from three in that game, so if they can continue to get contributions outside of Edwards, they definitely are dangerous moving forward. Yeah, I personally don't like Purdue against Tennessee in the next round, just because, well, for one, you kind of mentioned it, Greg. Uh, the odds that Edwards has anything near that kind of shooting day two games in a row seems pretty slim. And also, comparing Villanova's team to Tennessee's team, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield are not going to give Harms the room he had inside in the next round. I mean, they're gonna—they're not as tall as he is for sure. They still have a few inches lost on him, both of them. But they're just gonna bully him inside, I think, with the kind of body shape he is, kind of tall and slender almost. Yeah. Um, I think that they're gonna—they're not gonna hold back. They're kind of a nasty team. They're gonna, you know, wear him down early. Right, and knowing Williams and Schofield the way they like to play, first of all, they're one of the best inside-outside duos in a front court that I've seen in college basketball. Because Grant Williams is the back-to-back SEC Player of the Year. The way he's able to post up smaller defenders and then take bigger men similar to a Harms outside, hit those little mid-range and three-point shots, that'll be a huge plus for Tennessee. I also like Admiral Schofield, who's just a man's man, who is a unit. His brother played in the NFL, um, O'Brien Schofield, former Super Bowl champion with the Seahawks. So obviously the family genes are strong. So you've got a pretty deep front court with two grown men in Schofield and Williams. And personally, I got Tennessee in my Final Four in one of my best brackets. So I'm going to say Tennessee is going, going to get the W on Thursday against Purdue. Yep. And um, and one, I just want to bring up a bright spot. Because we're talking about this Purdue loss and it's tough. Let's just take a step back at the St. Mary's game for a second. One bright spot that was that was very yes, the very good about the, uh, the, po- the one postseason win we had was the <laughs> hey, resilience. tournament's postseason. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> this team's been running the Big East. So um, they're, the fact they were down 30-28 a half, and for the resiliency they showed in the second half and to, to go on a little run and, and finish that game, was um, I, don't, I just thought that was, uh, it was good to see that. Yeah, I thought a lot of the times um, during the regular season, Villanova struggled in close games um, near the end of games, and that was a close game. I was definitely worried about um, their ability to get it to the finish line, but uh, it was definitely good to see them do that. And against a quality team, um, St. Mary's definitely no joke of an opponent. Um, so that was good to see for sure. Yeah. Also, if we're looking at bright spots from the tournament, um, and this is from the loss of the win, but um, so this also, I will say it first. I'll preface with, I might be stretching it a little bit, but um, in 2015, after the uh, NC State loss. Um, all the players, you know, stayed with the entire game, played it out to the end, the seniors, 
and Jay Wright, both after they won in 2016 and throughout the run in 2018, said that that was a turning point for the team, that the young guys saw you know, those seniors playing hard and doing all the attitude clapping and all the stuff they kind of harp on in the yeah. program. And um, then, I don't know, it's just this could be the same thing for this next young roster next year. So right, here's yeah. what happens, but it could be another big moment for them. Yeah, and just another point, just going back to this St. Mary's victory, the two guys that we talked about the most last week in Malik Fitz and Jordan Ford, and they were going to cause the most matchup problems for Nova, did not get off like I thought they would. They both had 13 points apiece in order to lead the team, and four played all 40 minutes. Only shot six for 17 from the field. So that's credit to head coach Jay Wright, coaching staff Kyle Neptune, George Halkovich, Mike Nardi, and the players all together in order to get guys ready and prepared to go up against a Fitz and a Ford. Because we knew those were the two guys that led them to the winner over Gonzaga a couple weeks ago in the WCC championship. But to have those two hemmed up pretty well, Credit to Villanova's coaching staff and credit to Villanova's defense because that's how this team won this game. I think another thing, um, just looking forward and looking at the, the Purdue game, um, to see when Eric Pascal and Phil Booth came out of the game and you could really see just how emotional it was, especially um, for Pascal to, to play his final Villanova game. It was really a touching moment, I thought. Um, you know, the program's meant like so much to him and He's came in here, transfer, but really, I mean, made himself a great career here at Villanova, and just to see like how much the program meant to him um, as he played his final game was really, I thought, impactful and just good to see. I was gonna say that hit you in the feels right there, yeah. seeing Pascal with the tears running down his eyes, hugging Coach Wright. Um, I mean, that was obviously the most emotional I've ever seen Pascal. He's such a stoic guy. And um, you could really see that um, his basically his past few years at Villanova all came out right there, and um, and it really hit him that this was the final game he'd be playing in. But um, but yeah, I feel like speaking of that, we should we should talk about like any messages for Phil or Eric. I mean, yeah, like they're it's gonna be two Nova legends forever, and it was their last game. So what what are we thinking moving forward? What do we have to say? One thing that's very slept on. Just I'll start with Pascal. Is that in the Jay Wright era, he's had a couple of transfers um, over his tenure, his 18-plus years here. Is it safe to say that Eric Pascal is the best transfer acquisition that he's gotten? I think by far. Yes. Probably by far. So who else are you remembering other than, of course? I mean, there's Joe, there's Joe, Thremo. Joe Thremo, Thank you, of Joe course. Um, Tony Chanel, who was a Philly guy, okay. he transferred from Wake Forest. He was a really good defensive point guard. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, everybody's pretty much been Villanova homegrown. So there had obviously there hasn't been enough opportunity for there to be a lot of transfers. Yeah. This isn't like a free agent school where we're just bringing in guys year in and year out. But at the same time, just what Pascal was able to do, not only for the time when he was playing, but the year he wasn't playing. I was listening to um, Daryl Reynolds on the Stay Tuned with D-Ray podcast. Shout out D-Ray, who Mike just interviewed yes, for Audible yeah. that's soon to come. A little plug there on yeah, Wednesday. Of course, shameless plug. But... <laughs> D-Ray was doing an uh, interview, or not an interview, but he was doing this podcast episode with Mikhail Bridges when Mikhail had his um, senior day ceremony. And he mentioned how with Eric, since Mikhail and Eric were technically in the same class, how when Eric was in his redshirt year and he was on the scout team, what he was able to do in order to mimic the best player on other teams in and outside of conference play was huge and intricate to that championship run that Villanova was able to have. Pascal played zero games in the 15-16 season, but he still had a bigger impact than most will ever realize 
on that championship team, and he leaves with two rings, a legendary career. Yeah, no disrespect to Tony Chanel. Chanel? Chanel. Chanel, sorry. But, um, I mean, Eric Pascal scored, I believe, 22 points. That could be wrong in the Final Four game. In the Kansas game, yeah, 24. 24 points. Yeah. Only this one shot. If that game is his entire legacy at Villanova, I think he has a better legacy than Tony Chanel. Yeah. Again, no disrespect to him, but that's a huge contribution yeah, that to was the championship a, team. That was a really special game. Um, and just like the enormity of that stage um, for him to perform that well was just incredible. But um, definitely Booth and Pascal are definitely going to be remembered as two of Villanova's <coughs> Villanova fan favorites. Um, two players who really understood what Villanova basketball was about, brought the, the, that mentality to every game. And um, two players who were really valuable leaders this year on a young team. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to pass that, pass that off uh, onto the younger players for next year. I think one thing that I wanted to point out, and let's just transition to Phil quickly, is Phil Booth, he has the record for most games played for a Villanova Wildcat ever. He's tied for the most wins with two of his former guys in the class before him and Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins back in from the class of 2013. Booth was a class of 2014 with Bridges. So Booth is tied for the most wins. Imagine if he gets a win against Furman or Penn. He's the winningest Villanova Wildcat ever. Like, that's just crazy to say about yeah. a guy. And, of course, it seemed like he was here for 10 years, but what he was able to do, 1,500-plus points in his career, 20 points in a national championship, which was probably one of the biggest moments in his career. And one of the main keys that I noticed was that the way that Villanova played without him in the 2017-18 season after he had the fractured bone in his hand and the way that they played with him, two totally different teams. Because he was one of the captains for that 17-18 squad as well. And he was the rock of that team. It didn't always show up in the box score, but Booth averaged a solid 10 points per game, came in, hit his shots, and then the next year transitioned to be the man. Yeah, they're, they're, cer they're certainly going to be missed. The only thing you can hope moving forward is that the qualities, and the, especially the leadership qualities that they've displayed over the past few years, uh, lend to the young guys coming up. You just hope that they take those same qualities and, and keep playing Villanova basketball, as they say, moving forward. Yeah, I gotta say back to Tyler's point. Kind of uh, the thing that impressed me most about Booth this year is the fact that I think if you thought of Booth in sort of the 2018-19 bubble, he's the star scorer, he's the main man, but he has sacrificed so much for this program over the past five years. And the thing that comes to mind most for me because this is when I was here mm -hmm. um, last year after breaking the hand, he came back and basically couldn't shoot the ball the way he was used to. Mm -hmm. That hand wasn't really healed. And he came back this year and you know obviously it was healed. Yeah. But he went through that whole postseason, the end of the regular season, back to that injury to give them the extra ball handler, the extra veteran guy to come in and play. On and he struggled. Especially. And defense especially. He was so huge last year. Yeah. But he struggled through that injury the entire season. And that's been his entire career. He's been injury-plagued. Think about how much of a better player he could have been for this team if he hadn't had those nagging injuries during his time. Before. Right. Imagine that 16-17 season yeah. if he was able to play alongside the DiVincenzo and because obviously Dante had his rise during Booth's injury year, but imagine him with that same team from 17-18, just without Omari Spelling, of course, nice. as he had to serve the academic redshirt. But Booth was fighting through the knee injury he had to sit out with yeah. during the championship season in 15-16. So to show the resilience to play in all 40 games that season is just unbelievable. And just another thing with Booth is just his growth from the time he came in this program. Um, you just saw steady growth each year he played and taking on more and more of a role on the team. 
and to go from a bench player his freshman season and his his what would be his sophomore season, and then to from finally being able to start uh, on last year's championship team to this year being the go-to guy, just the development and the, the process that he went through to get there is just really impressive, I think. Yeah, I, I think Booth will go down forever as a, like a very selfless leader for Villanova squad. And um, a, a question I have for you guys, talking about Phil and Eric, uh, where do you think they go from here? What's their future like in basketball? And um, you know, what do you think happens moving forward? Well, Eric first, I think it's a simpler question. I think Eric is, I don't know if he's a first-round pick, I think he definitely could be. NBA guys and basketball people in general who are sort of talking in that direction are saying that the type of player he is um, is the type of guy who comes in and plays in the NBA for 10 years. So could he go into the end of the first round like a sort of a Josh Hart spot? Maybe. One year older, but I think it could happen. But we'll see. Um, now Booth is more complicated because he's a, let's say, 6'3 is probably the most generous you'd give him. That's how he's listened. But mm -hmm. Probably he's not quite that. Right. Um, and I think probably he will probably go to the undrafted, I think, maybe second round, but right. probably to the G League, not the G League, probably the Summer League, and then maybe the G League, maybe to the NBA. But I think it's a more rocky path for him. But I think he could make it. Scoring is valuable everywhere. Right. So you never know. Um, I'll start with Eric as well. I think that Eric is a bona fide draft pick. I'm not going to say which round because the way things will shake out, combine workouts. Mm -hmm. And obviously, talking about Villanova's guys, Dante made a name for himself in the combat. Everybody knew, obviously, about the championship and his 31-point performance. But the way that he played in five-on-fives, that's where he proved that he was supposed to be a mid-first-round pick. And people around his camp and people around him told him, shut it down. You've improved your stock already. He said, no, I want to keep playing. And I think Eric should have that attitude coming into workouts, coming into combine workouts as well in terms of the 5-1-5s, the shooting drills, and all the other agility drills, where I, which I think he'll, no pun intended, jump out of the roof because we know he could do it. We've seen him do it. So I think Pascal will have a really good NBA career one way or another. If he gets drafted late in the first round, that means he goes to a playoff team, which means he'll be able to contribute coming off of the bench or starting either way in the near future. And then once again, like you said, Michael Booth, it's a little complicated because we'll see whether he turns into a second to undrafted pickup in terms of possibly two-way contract, working his way up through the ranks, because we've also seen Villanova guys do it as well. Also, I did forget to mention, with Booth, the injury concerns are real. He's been very solid this year, and <coughs> done a really good job um, staying free of the injuries, but teams don't forget that quickly. Right, knee tendonitis, mm -hmm. hand injuries, those things are tough, but I think Booth does have a chance to have a really good career whether it's in the States or overseas, because we've seen tons of Villanova guys either in the NBA or overseas, especially in recent years after um, the down year from Jay Wright where they went 13-19, and 19, that one year before Archie came. Tons of guys from those teams from like 14, 15, Javon Pinkston, even Daryl Reynolds, um, Darren Hilliard, they've either been G League slash European players. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think that um, I think Pascal is definitely a lock for the NBA draft. For me, I think he's... Depends how he improves his stock, but right now I feel like he's an early second round pick, maybe maybe late first, but leaning towards early second. Um, I agree with Ty that uh, I think he's gonna kill it in the combine, so I think that will be for his, to his benefit. But as for Phil, um, I definitely think summer league is the route for him. I think his experience and and leadership and and statistics over the years definitely warrant him a spot on a summer league team, and then from there. I have a. I just personally feel like he he can land a spot on a G League team and, and work his way up from there, but um, 
we, we wish the best of luck to them moving forward. But uh, moving forward in this pod, we're, uh, we're going to do our awards for the season Ooh, for the men's basketball team. Yeah, you know, real smooth. Uh, we're doing the awards for the men's basketball team. And the first award is the MVP of the team. So, does anyone want to share their opinion and who they think is the most viable player? I might as well start Mike Keeley? Um, I think my pick is probably the more obvious pick of the two that I think are pretty reasonable. I'll go Phil Booth. Um, you know, Pascal was huge for the team this year. But Booth said they're scoring all season long. Main ball handler when Gillespie, you know, didn't always take it as the point guard. Um... Lead assist guy, move the ball around, huge um, distributor for this team with a lot of spot shooters. Um, I just think without this team, and if you have to remove Booth or Pascal, you take Booth. Yeah, I, I also uh, would take Booth as my MVP for this season. Um, as Mike mentioned, he led the team in both points and assists, which is extremely impressive. And also, um, one of the things that kind of differentiated him between me and Pascal, or between Booth and Pascal, was also Gregsville Booth. Wow, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pascal. I think we're pretty on a, on a close level, but in terms of, um, I think Booth was able to take over more late in games um, than Pascal. He was the guy when they really needed a basket uh, late in the game, uh, in a close game. Booth was the one that was, that was really able to to drive it to the hole or hit a three. That in those clutch moments, I think um, his performance was a little. A little bit more impactful than Pac School, which is why he was my MVP. I guess we'll just go around the horn here. I'm gonna actually switch it up. I'm gonna go with the big fella EP or Easy E as they like to call him down in New York City. But Eric Pascal, I mean, a little lower in points than Booth at 16.5, and then the six rebounds was critical. What he was able to do for this team when Phil was struggling a little bit, and you just needed to go get a bucket one way or another. The way he was able to play inside, outside, post up, pull up jump shots, three point shots, he was just so powerful and he made impact plays as well. Of course, Booth had the flashy threes and go ahead shots, but the way Pascal was able to change a game with either a dunk or a block, just little things like that is what impressed me the most with Eric Pascal this season and seeing his development altogether from being a redshirt transfer from Fordham, Atlantic 10 Rookie of the Year and now being a first-team All-Big East selection was just something special to me, and I think it all culminated in this senior year, and I was very impressed with what I saw from number four. So I'm going to go with EP as my most valuable player. I'm going to take it back to uh, to Phil Booth as my MVP. Uh, I just feel like Booth was the absolute rock of this team. I mean, I couldn't even imagine what they would be like without him. He was their go-to on-ball guard, points leader, uh, their five-year vet or uh, and go-to guy on the team. Although he struggled at various points throughout the season, it was more of just how much responsibility was put on him. But I think for the most part, on such a young team where he was one of the leaders, he handled it really well. And um, and and just I think if you look at the entire team and you take Phil Booth off of it, it would be the most noticeable player to lose. So he's my clear-cut MVP of the team, and um, we're surely going to miss him. And our uh, our next category is Rookie of the Year. So what are we thinking in terms of that? Yeah, I think this one is a little more clean cut than the last one. I think yeah. it's got to be Sadiq Bey. Huge defensive stopper. You saw him on guards late in the season in the Big East Tournament. That was huge. I w- wasn't sure he was capable of that. So to see that out of him was really great. He was also a great um, escape valve in the offense. Where he had a pretty good hook shot he could pull out in the you know high post. That was pretty interesting to watch him develop over the season. 
pretty good, pretty good outside shooter. Um, pretty much could do it all. Yeah, I think Bay's definitely the pick for that. Um, although preseason, perhaps no one would have taken uh, <laughs> Bay as the rookie of the year, but he was he was really impressive this year. Started the majority of games uh, for the team. Um, as Mike mentioned, he could knock down the three, especially the corner three. He was a he was a real threat from the corner. Um, and he also showed an ability to drive to the basket and finish around the rim. Um, but yeah, his defense was really what stood out the most um, on some of the other team's top volume scorers. His, the confidence Jay had in him to, to guard the, as a freshman, to guard the opposing, opposing team's best offensive option really shows a lot about um, what he can do. And I think he has a ton of upside moving forward. Um, next year, you definitely will look for him to be one of the, the key pieces on next year's team. So I'm agree with Greg on his Rookie of the Year pick with Sadiq Isbay and the way that he was able to play. Kind of reminded me of another guy who went to Sidwell Friends, graduated from Villanova, and Josh Hart, and the way that he was able to score from all over the floor. A little bit of a lesser role in his first year on campus that should be expanded as time goes on. But I think in the way that he was able to hit threes, able to put the ball on the floor, and make defenders pay off the bounce, and the way that he was able to rebound the ball so efficiently got me very excited for the future, and I'm very intrigued to see what will happen with the rest of Sadiq Bey's career. And being a first-team all-rookie selection alongside the Mac McClungs and James Akinjos and um, all these other guys that were so talented, um, who else? Joey Hauser as well for Marquette. A very deep conference coming up in the future for the Big East, and the fact that Sadiq was up there shows me a lot. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to add on Sadiq after having said what I said earlier is that I remembered what I read yesterday in that Villanova's last three guys to play over 50% of the minutes their freshman season have been Ryan Archidiakno, Josh Hart, and Jalen Brunson. All three of those guys were Big East Players of the Year. Yep. So I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. It's definitely not, but it is something that Sadiq Bey was the second ranked of those guys with 72% of the minutes played this year behind only Archidiakno. Right. So that's all I'm going to say. That puts him in some good company right there, but uh, I'm gonna have to go with Sadiq Bay also. Uh, I mean, played 29, started 29 games this year, uh, average eight points, five rebounds, shot 45% from the field. Uh, in in Jay Wright's system, it's 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 pretty rare for a freshman to make a significant impact, but Sadiq Bay immediately was a key and a cornerstone piece for for the team. Um, and it's just like Sadiq Bay himself, uh, the fact that he was able to play such important defensive roles and go, be almost the go-to lockdown guy for Jay Wright right. at, as a freshman. Just showed how highly uh, Wright and the coaching staff thought of him. And uh, it was just seen immediately how big of an impact he had. And uh, if you were to tell me Sadiq Bey would be the most impactful freshman, I would have been shocked. But um, after seeing it now, not surprised in the slightest bit. Uh, and I, he, with a team with so much upside and a lot of young talent coming in, uh, he's definitely one of the most, if not the most, intriguing player that uh, I'm looking forward to watching uh, for years to come. So, so uh, we're going to go on to our, our last uh, award, and that is uh, Most Improved Player. And I'm actually going to start this one off, you know. What, like, why not? I've, sure. I haven't started. I've been dishing it out. Treat yourself. Yeah, got yeah. too many assists. Take a shot. Take a I need, shot. I need oh, some points. I got to get my double-double. Oh, uh, <laughs> sorry for that. That was terrible. Pretty cool joke, too. So my most improved player is Jermaine Samuels. And it, it, I feel like it's not even a debate. Jermaine uh, was a liability last year, to be honest. He, he was a freshman that looked very lost in the system. Um, was thinking way too much rather than playing. He also suffered a hand injury. 
and it was just um, Jermaine just uh, it's it was like I felt bad because I feel like there were such high expectations for him coming out of high school that it, when he got to Villanova he struggled with the system and he sustained an injury and things weren't just weren't going his way and um, and a lot of people doubted if he'd ever be the player that he was recruited as and expected to be, but um, saw a huge jump from him this year. Uh, was really impressed with his play, especially his 29 points against Marquette. Uh, he could have had more, too. He shot 44% from the free throw line, and uh, that was pretty painful to watch because some of them were key free throws. But uh, not going to get on him too hard for a 29-point effort. And um, No, but Jermaine Samuels looked very confident this year. He, uh, he shot the ball a lot better, shot 44% from the field. He also averaged five rebounds a game, and um, he just was my, I thought, a year difference in the system turned him from a liability to uh, a go-to role player for the team, so uh, he's my most improved. I mean, he went from being liable to being reliable. I mean, that hey. was, I tried, I tried. <laughs> but I'm also going to go with my main man, Jermaine Sanders, and I just want to bring up one point that in the senior day press conference post-game when – it was Phil, Eric, or not Eric, excuse me, Phil, Jay Wright, and Jermaine. Those are the guys that um, our main man, Big Mike Sheridan, brought out for the media to talk to. Love you, Mike. And shout out Mike Sheridan. Love you. Jay Wright said towards the end of the conference when talking about Jermaine, he said one night that his wife, Patty Wright, told him that he needs to find a way to get Mano the ball more. And... The wife just knows best. Jermaine just found ways to get involved all throughout the season. It came in spurts. Like, he had good games in the Big Five where he would have 15 points against Temple, 11 points versus Joe's. But then he would have those zero-point games. He'd be like, what is going on? But then he would start having these Rodman games where he'd have, like, zero points and 10 rebounds. Then he had the game against Georgetown with three points and 16 rebounds and the highest plus-minus on that game. Then he started scoring a little bit more as postseason play came along, and he actually scored in double figures in um, the semifinal and final in the Big East tournament, and also scored 12 points against St. Mary's, 11 against Purdue. So it showed that he has the scoring potential that we saw at the River School in Franklin, Massachusetts. I'm very excited for Jermaine and Sadiq as our bookend forwards coming next year and beyond. So Jermaine's my pick. Yeah, I'm also taking uh, Jermaine. Um as my most improved player, I think really not only from season to season um, the improvement, but um, also just from the start of this season to the end of the season, you saw that improvement. Um, at the beginning of this year, you know, there was a lot of the same uh, trends that we saw last year where he looked a little bit lost out on the court, um, a little intimidated when the ball came to him, not really sure uh, what to do, not confident in his decision making, but that really progressed as the year went on, and it was really cool to see. Um, that confidence just elevate throughout the year and him finally, you know, for, for a lot of the year he wouldn't even look at the basket when he caught the ball um, outside the three-point line, but that really changed in the latter uh, part of the season and he was able to knock, uh, knock down a lot of outside shots. He has a pretty good stroke uh, from outside, so there's no reason he shouldn't be shooting those. Um, so it was good to see him finally take that initiative and really, yeah, another guy along with Bay to really be excited about um, moving forward the, ne the next year and even even beyond here at Villanova. Yeah, so I will say before I make my what actually is my pick, that there is a sneaky pick here that I think is Phil Booth. Um, averaged 10 points last year. Sneaky. To become, hey, he was the fifth starter last year, Ooh, I think. For sure, for sure. He's the 
but he was the main man this year, led the show. Without him, this team doesn't go anywhere. Um, and to make that jump, you know, there are talented players who try to make that jump and just can't. Right. And to be a guy who could do that and took a, on more responsibility both in the locker room and on the court, I thought that was huge. But at the end of the day, I do got to go with Big Game Jermaine Mano. as the pick here because last year, uh, Jermaine was basically one of those guys from our all of our favorite 1994 classic uh, Space Jam, like Charles Barkley, <laughs> Patrick Ewing, who get their talent sucked away into the basketball by the Monstars. And he looked like he didn't even know what the game of basketball was at times. And I can only say, I'm going to say that now because, you know, the situation's better for him. But there were times where he'd make a pass out of bounds or just not know where to go in the offense. Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of like you kind of panicked. This is the top recruit of the class. Yeah. Oof, I don't quite know what's going on here. But this year, he had a rough start again, a little inconsistent, and finally, towards the end of the season, he made it happen. Found his three point stroke, better pass to the ball, much better rebounder. Yep. I thought, I thought he was an underrated passer. He had some games where he sneakily would have maybe six points, but, you know, seven rebounds, five assists, four assists. So I think that's an underrated part of his game moving forward um, as a more all-around player than I thought he would be ever, really. Yeah. All right, Green, can we acknowledge one thing about Jermaine? When did he become the posterizer dunker? He had so many oh, yeah, there ridiculous was like dunks this year. I think oh, it was a Providence game. We were at Providence in the dunk. Well, I guess it all lines up. We were playing the Dunkin' Donuts Center, has that M1 dunk, and then he just went on a streak of dunking over Providence for an M1. He dunked over the big man at Creighton, for an AM1. He just started dunking on people, and I was like, all right, if this is what you need to get going and find yourself to get a rhythm in the <laughs> offense, go right ahead. Treat I, yourself. And I think, yeah, a, another thing with Jermaine, um, <coughs> you really saw um, after the Purdue loss, you really saw how impactful Booth and Pascal were for Jermaine. Um, you could see he was just as emotional as them, uh, even though it's only his sophomore season. Um, after that loss, he was, he was in tears along with Pascal and Booth on the sidelines. You saw Booth consoling him. I think, like, Boos and Pascal's impact on Jermaine and um, his growth can't be, can't be understated. Yeah. Well, Jay Wright has said those are his boys. Those are the guys who he's closest to on the team. Yeah. Those are the guys when Jay Wright needs someone to, you know, get Jermaine off the video game console and backwash the basketball <laughs> game tonight. And he said this. He um, he'll go, Phil, Eric, I need you to get after him. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> so when I heard that, I thought it was interesting because that's a three-year age difference. Three, yeah. Three, the math right in my head. Yeah. 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 Boos and Pascal, yeah. Both like yeah. fifth-year players. Yeah. So the fact that he's close with them, and it really shows at the end of the Purdue game where, I mean, he was the third guy in tears there, which right. I thought it really meant a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, there goes for our awards and the uh, breakdown of the men's basketball performance in March Madness. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll get back to you right after that. Podcats is brought to you by the Villanova, the student-run newspaper at Villanova University since 1916. For the latest news on the Villanova University, visit Villanovan.com. And at the Villanovan on Twitter. We're back from a quick break, and we are going to discuss the Villanova women's basketball team, which uh, failed to make the NCAA tournament this year. Had kind of a down year compared to last year, where they were uh, a second round team in the NCAA tournament, but um, and lost to eventual champion Notre Dame. But they made the WNIT this year. They won a heck of a game in the uh, against Old Dominion at home. And then fell to West Virginia on Sunday in a close contest. But um, let's talk about the uh, the bright side first, the Old Dominion game. I mean, Ty and I were at the game. Sure were. We were at the Finn, and uh, it was uh, pretty electric at the end. I mean, it was a game where they were trailing for the most part, and they kind of got some momentum at the end, and then Brianna Hurley just 
Yeah. I remember I, I was we were sitting there and we were sitting next to Villanova women's basketball super fan Joe Donovan. Or a Villanova staff writer. And he said to us, "If they hit a buzzer beater for a game winner, I will storm the court." Joe obviously didn't do it, but what did happen? We did get a buzzer beater, but it was Brianna Hurley with a double pump three point shot. She was looking for her captain Adriana Hahn to take the game, yeah. away, but Adriana seemed out of that game for the most part. Yeah, it was didn't really take a lot weird. of shots. Didn't really seem aggressive. She only took two shots for the game, but Brianna Hurley he would double pump prayer right on the wing, and she drains it, swish, and then they go to overtime. We get free basketball. Next thing we know, Villanova survives and advances to the next round. I was very impressed with what I saw from Emily Esposito. That's the name I want to put out oh, there. Oh yeah, what twenty seven points? This was her coming out party. Absol- I'm very excited for the future with her. Absolutely. I mean, Esposito had a career game. Um, we tweet. I actually tweeted prior to the game that uh, with Kelly J caught out, Esposito was the X factor. They needed her scoring. I mean, she provided that scoring off the bench earlier in the year. Um, kind of fell out of the rotation like throughout the year, though. But um, I was surprised that Harry actually gave her the start. And not only the start, she got the green light. She just shot whenever she could. She There was a point in the game where it, it seemed like someone just needed to step up. And Esposito and Brianna Hurley did. And Brianna Hurley really stepped up in multiple facets. I mean, she had a double-double. She had career-high in points and rebounds. She had 20 points, 11 rebounds. She was unstoppable on the floor. And there was a point where they were coming back, and Brianna Hurley was just running all over the floor, doing whatever she could to get keep this team alive. And um, the combination of her and Esposito were the unsung heroes that, uh, that like, you would not expect them to be the, the stars leading them in their... Uh, in their win over Old Dominion, but uh, they couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, Hurley especially is, I mean, you just saw very little production from her or throughout the whole year. Um, her sister was definitely the one who, who had more production. Than yeah, like Bridget, um, she big time stepped up this year. I mean, with Megan Quinn graduating last year, she uh, she started every game. But, exactly, uh, yeah. but Brianna really was able to uh, to really announce herself to the, to the Villanova fans in that game, and... Um, that was a great win for them to get to at least get one postseason uh, win this this year. Kind of makes the season uh, a little bit better, a little a little sweeter. Yeah, I was set to go this game until the last minute, and um, I wish I had been there because what a game to win for this team that sort of had a rough season. I thought they were going to be a tournament team looking at this roster at the beginning of the season. Right. But you know, of course, they didn't finish the season as strong as they would have liked. But to go out like this um, with the overtime winner that they can build on going to next year, um, with this core of, you know, hopefully Jacob comes back well. Um, you got Emily Esposito, you got Jadeka. Um, I think that's, you know, that's a morale-boosting win to come back and win in overtime. And I think it's, um, you know, of course not the end of the season you want, but it's a good building point. Yeah, definitely. And um, after that win, the team took a, took a ride to West Virginia to take on West Virginia in the second round of the NIT. Um, in a game that where they got down by a lot early, um, faced at least uh, over a twenty point deficit um, at one point, but were able to uh, show a lot of re- resiliency, fight back, um, bring that game uh, within within one, I believe. Um, yeah, late yeah. In the closing stages, with five minutes left, um, before eventually succumbing to West Virginia and what was a tough loss, but still a valiant uh, effort, good display by the team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was one of those games where, like, I was watching it on um, the Mountaineer stream. Shout out to them. Uh, they didn't go to any ads or anything, so you saw what was going on in that arena, too. That's huge. It was electric. 
Um, Electric and Morgantown. Electric and Morgantown. But, uh, no, it was one of those games where it seemed like West Virginia was going to pull ahead multiple times. But Villanova fought back. They were really resilient in that game. And uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Jonna Tucker. I mean, last game of her career, and she absolutely balled out. She had 21 points, 8 for 16 from the field, 5 for 11 from 3. And um, she just looked like she didn't want her career to end. She tried her best, had a hell of a game, and uh, it couldn't go out a better way than she did. And um, she's been a great player for us ever since yeah. she transferred over. So uh, obviously got to give credit to the seniors. Adriana Hahn also had uh, was the third leading scorer with eight points. But um, Donna Tucker really, really uh, came out and played, I think, her best game of the season. Yeah, I think that was such a huge point for this program, getting Donna <laughs> Tucker as a transfer. Um, because I think she just gave this program and this team a different attitude, a different pedigree. Um, the way she plays the game for this team and has played the game for this team, I remember watching the, I want to say it was the overtime when they had, I want to say it was against Butler, um, that could be wrong, where she just, it was a close game, she made a step back deep three, and that kind of attitude, take that shot late in the game in a close game, um, is one that I think the team has sort of gleaned from her, and I think she really sort of changes for her for the better going for the long term. I think it also shows that Villanova is able to bring in top talent because she was a top 10 player coming out of high school um, back in 2014, I think it was. Either 2014 or 2015. It was 2015, actually, excuse me. And then she had, um, she was going to go to Tennessee and then, like, she had her whole story where she had, like, the bad boyfriend, the toxic relationship. And she, the way she was able to bounce back from that moment and showing the resiliency, showing the attitude that Villanova Athletics loves to preach about she was everything that we love to represent as a body, as a student body, and especially as a student athlete, and so much more. Her contributions on the court, her contributions to the Radnor community off of the court as well, as she won the Big East Sportsmanship Award for her production on and off the court. She just represented everything I expected a Villanova basketball player to be, and so much more. So shout out to Janet Tucker for a great college basketball career. Yeah, no, Jonna Tucker, shout out to her. Hell of a player. Definitely uh, a Nova legend, especially uh, Adriana Hahn as well. She This year she uh, became the all-time leading uh, three-point scorer for Villanova. So, uh, I think it's Big East. And, and Big East, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Big East and Villanova. So her name will forever be in the record books, and uh, they will both be remembered uh, for a long time and uh, always ingrained as a part of Villanova women's basketball. Um, moving forward, uh, we want to go through some awards for the women's team. So the first one we want to do is the team MVP. So, uh, does anyone want to start off? Keely? Yeah, I'll start it off. Um, I think for my MVP, I don't think it's the obvious choice, although she's probably the biggest name on this team this year, arguably. Um, I'm going to go with Adriana Hahn as the point guard. Um, she led the team, she's third in the team in scoring, but also led the team in assists and steals. So she's not the biggest player. She did provide that um, impact on both ends of the court. I just think as a senior, as a leader, as a threat from outside, she gives teams so much in different aspects of the game that um, allowed them to sort of, well, there are other stars to operate on the inside and without the ball. And I think um, she was probably the biggest component to the success that the team did have this year. Yeah, I also, uh, I'm going to go with Han actually for MVP. Um, well, I averaged 11.9 points per game, which was third on the team, but um, had the most steals of anyone on the team and the most assists. Um, really just a valuable player um, to run the offense through um, as the point guard. And 
really hit a lot of big shots uh, through a career and this year for Villanova. Um, just a, a threat from three-point um, territory and deep from deep into three-point territory, too. She could knock down um, some really deep threes. Basically a threat anywhere on the floor. Yeah. Um, and a very good ball handler. Um, so I'm going to take her as my MVP for this season. I'll go with actually a year under her, Mary Gadeka, because Mary was number one in scoring average, number one in minutes played, started every game, started and played in every game, which no other Villanova women's basketball player could say, led the team in rebounds, and was actually second in total assists behind Han. So I think the value that she was able to add for this team altogether, scoring her 1,000th point also in that Old Dominion game, and they had a tribute to her during one of the timeouts. It was just very special to see, and I'm just very excited for what she can bring for her last year in the Villanova uniform. But she almost messed around and had a triple-double in that Old Dominion game with 18 points, 8 goals, <coughs> and 9 assists. So what she was able to do with her scoring, her rebounding, being a second-team All-Big East selection, that is the highest accolade of all of our players on the team. So I'm going to go with Mary as my MVP for the Cats. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Mary also, and I was going to say in the old mini game with uh, Hurley and uh, Esposito's breakout game, she almost went unnoticed in the stat sheet, but she had a hell of a game. And uh, I'm going with, yeah, I'm going with Gadeka. Um, I think she's easily the most valuable player on the team. She uh, averaged 6.8 rebounds per game this year, over 14 points. Um, and she's just been a consistent nightmare for other teams, and she's a constant mismatch. She, she's the best player on the team to get to the basket. She can also shoot from mid-range pretty well. Um, and yeah, she's, she just seems like a leader on the court too. She's very vocal out there. Um, seems to always get her teammates going and, um, yeah, she's, she just is their, in my opinion, their rock. She's their core and catalyst on their team. So, uh, heck of a year for Mary Gadeka. I expect an even more expanded role and, uh, development for her next year, but, um, she's my MVP as well. The next category we're going on to is, uh, rookie of the year. And I will start that off. And uh, I think for this one, I mean, we'll see what everyone says, but I feel like it's kind of a uh, no-brainer that it's Emily Esposito. I mean, she had a heck of a rookie year. Uh, usually in Harry Pereira-run teams, rookies are redshirted, yeah. and uh, she was redshirted. But um, coming off the redshirt, she uh, in her first act uh, year of action, she um, she actually had played some signif uh, significant role on the team. She... Uh, Averaged five points a game, and uh, came off the bench in many games and provided uh, much-needed scoring. She has a, a really nice jumper and, and pretty nice step-back shot. Yeah. Uh, and you could see that flourish in the uh, Old Dominion game where she had uh, what was it, 27 points, was it? 27 yeah, points. yeah, 27 points. She, she uh, had the green light in that game the whole entire time. Uh, literally, with Jay caught out, was the go-to scoring option for the Wildcats in that game. And um, she just showed you flashes in those... Uh, and even in the, um, I was going to say, in the West Virginia game, she shot 5 for 11 for the field and 10 points. So she had double-digit scoring in the two WNIT games. So it uh, just showed you an expanded role. Esposito was able to step up. And um future looks really bright for her. I mean, uh, it, it looks like the Jaycott injury is going to keep her out for some part of next year, I assume. Um, so expect Esposito to uh, have that expanded role that she's shown already she can uh, step up to. Yeah, I gotta agree with Kev here and go with Emily Esposito. Didn't start the year off as a major part of the rotation, but um, and I think even you interviewed her. You or Greg? 
Oh, it was great. Ray yeah. interviewed her for Athlete of the Week, and she said, gave you the quote at one point, she was kind of thinking of, maybe maybe I should transfer. Um, yeah, she wasn't, come up, yeah. wasn't sure if this was the, the right fit for her, and if she was cut out for um, Big East basketball, but she really yeah. proved that. And to come off that, and to become a major part of the rotation late, to the point where her average was um, 18 minutes a game, 5 points a game, um, over 2 rebounds, um, and to the point where, into this postseason play, she's averaging double-digit points in the NIT. Um... A huge, you know, coming on of late into the major part of the rotation, major part of the scoring input for this team. <coughs> and going to next year, especially with Jake I out, with the holes left by players like, um, you know, Grace Stan, Adrian Hahn, Jana Tucker. Um, it's going to be huge for her to step into one of the major roles in the team as one of the best known players. And I think she's definitely the freshman of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's consensus pick for sure. I'm taking uh, Emily Esposito also as my uh, rookie of the year. Um, really emerged as a, a viable scoring option for the team, um, getting the starts once uh, Kelly J. Cut went down with injury in, in the Big East tournament. Um, but yeah, Emily definitely was a really valuable part of the team, um, and her game was just so versatile. Um, Three-point shots, mid-range uh, pull-ups. Um, so just a valuable, a valuable member of the team for sure, and definitely one that there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Espo. I think we all had to go with Espo since she was a redshirt freshman. She's the only freshman that played <laughs> yeah, on the team. I was going to say, so it literally no was choice. like we had, had to, to go, go with Emily Esposito. And she pr- showed improved this year. While it didn't necessarily come at the start of the season, she ended the season really well. And the way that she was able to create her own shot, Villanova's going to miss that a lot next year without Han and Tucker in the lineup. Two players that were able to go off the dribble, take players off the bounce. Esposito has a lot of that in her, and with another off-season of training, another off-season of workouts, she'll be able to expand her game even more. Nothing, her and Gadeka could make a little nice, a nice little inside-outside punch in the Big East. So I gotta go with Emily Esposito as well for rookie. Big East freshman of the year, right? Uh, or not Big East freshman of the year, but all Big, Big East, East all rookie, yeah, all Big East, yeah, freshman team. Mm-hmm. So shout out Emily Esposito. Yeah, also won Rookie of the Week um, in yeah. the Big East multiple times. Yeah, so I think uh, I think she can play Big East basketball. I think I think it's safe to say she can. Uh, yeah, wait and see. Biggest is a tough conference. <laughs> tough conference. So we're gonna go on to the final award, which is most improved player, and I'm gonna kick it off. And this one's interesting because like, I don't know. I feel like there wasn't create like a much to improve upon because this player is already very good. But I'm gonna go with Kelly Jaycott. I thought she improved even more from last year. She averaged 11.3 points per game last year, and I jumped that up to 13.8, so almost averaged 14. Uh, there's an interesting stat about Kelly Jacott that just shows how consistent she is. Uh, the, Kelly Jacott this year scored double figures in 24 of 30 games this year. So that just shows you she is a consistent double-figure scorer for the Villanova Wildcats. And um, that was consistency this year that she had uh, that she didn't have as much last year. But um, she's been a constant uh, scoring threat for the Wildcats. Uh, had a heck of a year up until the injury. Um, it was awful this year to go down with that, and we're, we're really hoping for the best for her and uh, looking forward to seeing her back on the court because um, she's very close to scoring 1,000 career points. So we'd like to see her on the court at some point next year to uh, pass that mark and, um, and contribute for the Cats. But, uh, yeah, I think she's my uh, most improved player because she was able to improve upon a year that uh, I didn't think needed much improvement. Right, I'm also going to go with Kelly, actually. I think for the reason being, not necessarily because the stats jumped up all across the board, which they did, of course. The scoring was up, shooting percentages, the rebounds, everything. With the loss of Alex Lewin from last year and Kelly Jaycott having to go from 
maybe being the fourth, third option maybe, to being the primary as well as secondary option, alternating with Gadeka, Han, and Tucker all throughout the season. She was able to go and get a bucket whenever Villanova needed one in the worst way. When teams were making a good run and Villanova needed to snap their cold streak, Jacob was the go-to player nine times out of ten. So I think in that that improvement in her game is what impressed me the most, and that's why I'm going to go with Kelly for my most improved player. I'm actually going to go with the same pick as my MVP pick with Mary Gadeka because um, when they were both sophomores last season, um, Kelly Jacob, I thought, at least in my opinion, was that was the front of that next year of players who you thought, this is the next star for Villanova behind you know, Alex Lou, Adriana Hahn, Janet Tucker. I thought she was the next one up for sure. And I think they both stepped up this year. But I thought Gadeka's rise to leading scorer on the team, leading rebounder, was one that was a little more expected for me personally. And not only that, so she her rebounds up from 4.9 to 6.8, scoring, as we've said, 11.6 to 14.4, but also assists up from 1.2 to 2.8. Once you get up around 3, that's a pretty significant um, contribution. Yeah. Steals up, well, box actually down. But almost around the board, stats are up. And I think, as someone who maybe wasn't quite expected to make that jump going into the season, as Jacob maybe was, I think that um, Gadeka's contribution, or at least increase in contribution, is a little more impressive to me. Yeah, I'm taking uh, Gadeka as my most improved player as well. Um, she became the leading scorer on the team this year. And um, she really stepped into that role in Alex Lewin's departure, stepped into the, the role of uh, a player in the post who the Cats could look to to score down low. Um, also, something worth mentioning, I think, is although not um, not she didn't shoot a ton of threes, um, her three-point percentage did improve. Um, last year, she went she only shot 20 threes, knocking down seven of them. This year, she shot 25 and hit 11, um, jumping up to 44% from three. It's actually quite a good percentage, although she shot very few um, three-point shots. So I definitely think that's something to look for. The only thing that could maybe take her to the next level, um, even further up, would be to develop more confidence to shoot more threes and yeah. with some consistency next year. Yeah, and she was an uh, interesting thing to note. She was the Big East Sixth Woman of the Year last year. So right. she was a... Uh, from that to leading scorer. So. Yeah, she was a go-to option off the bench, and um, this year she took over a starting role and, and became a leading scorer, so that was a heck of a jump. That... uh. That's it for our uh, women's awards, and uh, we're going to leave you now with a, a Mike Keeley interview from earlier in the day with uh, staff writer Nick France, and they're going to talk about the NFL Pro Day, so please enjoy this. Hey, Nick. Uh, thanks for coming on. Well, of course, man. Glad to be here. So, um, Villanova's Pro Day was today. I hear you kept an eye on that throughout the process yeah. this morning. Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, there's a couple things to note. Um, obviously, is not the biggest football school, but that doesn't mean we don't put out some players. Yeah, we've had, uh, you know, Tano got drafted a couple of years ago. We've yeah. had some good guys, but um, who really stood out to you today? Mm, well, first of all, I wanted to mention that out of the teams there, it was the Jets, Dolphins, Patriots, Eagles, Saints, Ravens, Titans, and 49ers. And so, so teams uh, sent scouts here for us today? Yeah. Okay, um, cool. around, I think it was 23-24 scouts total out of those teams. Okay, I don't cool, cool. know the distribution. Um, but, um, yeah, there was a good number of uh, NFL interest, a good amount of NFL interest there. Um, a lot of it was in two, ta- two, two of the offensive tackles that we have, Ethan Greenidge and Brandon Hittner. Um, they're both, you know, going to be fantastic players. Uh, Greenidge, especially, he met with the Jets this morning for his, breakfast uh, before the pro day. 
So real, like, face-to-face time. Yeah, he had some real face-to-face time with the team, and I I don't want to say it for sure, but I think I read somewhere that he met with another team after, but don't quote me on that. Last year, you got in some hot water for saying things that uh, would not be so accurate. <laughs> that's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I didn't want to say for sure, but I thought I read that. So Greenidge, um, um, you said he was the top guy, probably. Where is he yeah. ranging for draft projections? Um, probably second round is his peak if a team really fell in love with him today. Um, I could see, but probably somewhere day three, uh, third round maybe. Um, but second round would probably be as high as he goes if it's a team that just really wants him. Um, he measured in at 6'4", 327 today. So that's solid, solid uh, height and weight, obviously. Uh, he had put up a good day, you know, all across the board. Um, I don't have his numbers written down, but I'm going to pull them up right now. <laughs> so is he looking at playing tackle in the NFL, or is he going to um, He played um, offensive. He played both left and right uh, tackle and for Villanova throughout his career. But a lot of NFL, you know, interest is in him, is in him playing guard. Okay. Uh, they want to move him to the inside. They think his at his athleticism of like beating edge guys isn't as good as you know an NFL level, but they think he'd be great on the interior with uh, some good strength and good size. Um, and then as for Hitner, uh, he put up a fantastic day. He probably got a lot more interest than he had going into the day. So um, Hitner had the more more of a bump in today's program. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, he uh, he measured in. Uh, he you know everyone knows that. He's a monster. He's 6'6", 300 pounds. Um, but he measured in um, in all the different drills just fantastically. Uh, he had a 5'140", which is good for his size. Uh, he had a 4.65 shuttle, 3.25, or 32.5 vert. Um, he had a 23 reps on the bench press, 225. Um, he just had a fantastic day. So for people at home who maybe aren't um, as knowledgeable about football as yeah. you or even I am, what do a lot of those numbers mean? Is he a very yeah. is he sort of a unique athlete kind of deal, or is he just improving on what he had been listed at before? Oh, uh, that is a pretty unique numbers for a smaller school like Villanova. Um, not a lot, even compared to you know bigger schools. That's not very um, six six three hundred. You're not going to get five one very often at, on the four, five five point one seconds on sure. the forty yard dash. Um, Twenty three reps on the bench press. He probably could do even better, um, but that's still a really good number. But considering his size, I bet you he could do even better if you know given another shot. Uh, the four six five shuttles what stood out to me. He has a lot of ag- a lot of agility for a for a guy that big. So do you see him as a tackle or as a guard? Basically, um, probably going to be a tackle, or he probably could slot in in either place. Um, a lot of NFL teams have a lot of interests like these days moving spread tackles like like Green Greenidge and uh, Hitner to a pro style guard. Um, just because they have um, more athleticism than an NFL, than an average NFL guard, but not as much as you know a pro style uh, tackle, and so kind of like um, a much more high profile level a few years ago, Zach Martin moving yeah exactly to the Cowboys exactly okay sure so you know there's a lot of guys that get moved around like that um, I could see either of them uh, being moved on moved into the inside, um, but I think that they could work either way I. Bet you Hitner, he might be a day three pick after this performance at the pro day. So but he didn't have drafted. He, I don't want to. Could go either way. He could go either way. He could go either We're way. Here. Yeah, it could go either way. <laughs> um, I don't want to bet on it because he didn't have as much buzz as Greenidge going in. Um, but he definitely at least helped himself today. I can say that much. 
And um, maybe if those are the top two guys Villanova has going into this draft, mm-hmm. who are other guys getting buzz? Maybe maybe late round picks, maybe you know, yeah. undrafted free agents. Yeah, um, the biggest one, uh, other than those two, is probably Rob Roll. Um, you know, yeah, I'm safety. safety. Okay. He's been uh, captain uh, two years now. Um, after his injury in his uh, fourth year, um, came back his fifth year senior. Um, today he had a really good day. Um, he had a, you know, he measured in at 6'1", 195, uh, put up 15 reps at 225. That's pretty press. solid. Yeah, on the bench press. Um, that's pretty solid for a safety, especially, you know, only 195-pound safety. 36-inch um, vertical, which is very impressive. Um, ten, uh, and then 10-foot, 4.5-inch uh, <laughs> broad jump. And then he was timed between 4.36 and 4.45 on the 40. Um Pro days, they usually do those by hand, so there can be a lot of error. Uh, so I don't have an exact time. Sure. There. But can you think you can see him uh, sticking with the team, whether as a backup player or as yeah. a, maybe a special teams player? Yeah, player? absolutely. I could see that. Um, I could see him been getting picked up if he's not drafted late rounds, like six, seven, um, maybe five. Um, you know, there's a lot of safeties in the NFL right now that, are, you know, that could slot in in special teams, but not many that could also... You know, get good ta- or He seems like he could be a good hybrid line hybrid linebacker type if you put on a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Sure, kind of um, like a Landon Collins is for a couple of years. I'd say more of a Dion Dion Buchanan or like a no um, different level of player. Yeah, of Mark um, Mark Barron. Oh yeah, I'm not trying to put but the expectation of, Landon, of an all pro safety. Landon Collins but. is like a safety two linebacker, whereas like I I think if if um uh roll put up like you know ten twenty pounds. Uh, he could probably slot in at linebacker. Uh, he's a good, good, good athleticism, good coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, he could slot in. You know, type of player that he's the type of player that the NFL is looking for right now on the defensive backside. So, yeah. Okay, that's actually uh, it's really interesting. I'm not, I'm not as up to date as you are on this sort of heavy leagues moving <laughs> in directions. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah. Um, and maybe those are the three guys who are the top three. You would say. Yeah. But who else, regardless of where their draft stock is or their league? Things mm-hmm. view on them. Um, who else had a good day? Like who else had a day that exceeded expectations? If there's anybody else. Um, Aaron. Yeah, go for it. Aaron Forbes also performed today. Um, he didn't, you know, knock any socks off, as far as I know, um, but he definitely performed well. Um, he's not, you know, he didn't just suddenly get himself drafted, but I'm sure that there's going to be some teams trying to get some waivers on him, and training camp comes around. Mm-hmm. And he was the. He's been starting running back yeah, he's for two been seasons. Running back for two seasons okay. now. Um, he's you know a solid player, good athleticism. Uh, I could see him getting some interest from training camps. Uh, maybe hopefully, seems like a hardworking guy. Could probably get himself onto a team from there. And uh, you know, all the guys who performed today did pretty well. Good. Um. So yeah, as we um, you know, as we sort of tie this up, what are your um. What's your, I guess, overlook as a whole of the team of this class um, as opposed to maybe a comp from the last few years of Villanova football? Um, this is a pretty good class for, you know, a pretty small team, especially one that didn't do too well in the regular season. Um, mostly when you get FCS, guy, FCS come, guys coming out and getting drafted, they're coming from teams that also won a lot of games, like North Dakota State, you know, those sort of teams. Um, but Villanova has a good amount of guys that could at the very least get some NFL roster interest. And, you know, coming from a team that didn't win too many games, that's pretty impressive. So 
uh, you know, Franti seems like he's putting some development in on some good some good players, and you know that means only good things for the future of Villanova football. So now you said it's kind of funny to see a team that's struggling have so many players catch interest from the league. Yeah, that seems to be a bit of a pattern in the past few years of Villanova not having the strongest regular seasons, but then having a few guys go into the league, whether it's drafted players or undrafted free agents. Yeah. I don't know. That seems a little. That's a little concerning, yeah. isn't it? Um. Yeah, it is, but you know when you're transitioning from a co- from a coach that you had for you know, I don't remember exactly how long that was in here. Yeah, a long time, um, and then you know Franti in his first two years, um, and quarterback trouble and all that. Um, records that they've had are pretty good if you consider all that. Um, you know, obviously we you know Villanova fans love to win with a basketball team like they have, and you know Tally would always get a good amount of wins. Um, but, you know, for transitioning team, that's pretty good. They're looking all right. Hey, well, thanks for coming on to the program, Nick. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. And that will do it for the second ever episode of Podcasts, the official Villanova Sports Podcast. Look forward to coming at you again next week. Uh, please follow us in the meantime, though, on Twitter at Pod. You can also follow our regular Villanova account on Twitter at the Villanova or our Villanova Sports account at Novan Sports. Um, also, if you have any questions or anything, want to contact us, give us advice, feedback, uh, positive words, negative words. Um, positive words. Yeah, what? Negative Shout outs on Kevin, how cool he is, all that stuff. Um, Don't do that. For emails, those, go to Kevin's DMs. As we yeah, last DMs, week. of course. Kevin Gamgort, Instagram. Um, no, but also Villanova, Villanovan podcast at gmail.com. Please send in stuff there. And, uh, also we're streamable now on seven platforms. Uh, not Apple yet, but we're streamable on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Spotify. So no excuses. We're on seven platforms.